0: Yeah, you can go up on the stage now. Jack, Jack really likes to use the microphone, so i will have to say hello. You want to say hello, Jack? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. So um, we are happy to be here with you guys again. Thank you so much for having us and for your faithful support over the years of the Angel family. Um, yeah, as you can see, it's been a hard few years, but... God is faithful and he's still doing things in Mexico. And especially we've been seeing more of the people that we have discipled starting to reach out and disciple others. And that's so exciting because that's the whole purpose of Latin American Ministries is to raise up the Latin American church as goers, as senders, as missionaries, as as Christians that take responsibility to to spread the hope that they've received. Um, I just want to say that we have a table out there. If you want to be on our email update list, you can leave your email there. We have little brochures that have our contact information. And then this book is for sale, the one I I wrote. It's about Adam and Eve and the loss of their son, Abel. It's kind of a historical fiction meditation on why the world is so broken. Um, So if you'd enjoy that, they're $5 back there, and we are so glad to be here.
1: Thank you. Awesome. I. Uh, it's really neat to see all these kids at, at during the Sunday actual morning service. Um, it reminds me in Honduras that was that was very common, especially in in churches that were starting. And one time I was uh, I was sitting in a, in a corner on that side of a church, and my dad was preaching. And usually when I'm when I was a kid and I was out of line, the elders would kind of grab me and take me to the back or get me to behave. Uh, but there were nowhere to be seen that, that Sunday. And I remember, I think I was picking on some other kid. And halfway through the message, my dad stops and he says, excuse me, he takes his belt off, comes over, <laughs> grasps me, just whacks me like two or three good times. And as we sit back down, Puts his belt back on and just continues preaching. <laughs> I never forgot about that. <laughs> some uh, some good old organic raising, huh? <laughs> uh, oh, let's pray. Dear God, I give you thanks for the opportunity to, to be one in your presence. God, thanks for, for the greatest miracle of all, which is the ability to have intimacy with you, God, as a father, as a friend, as a brother, as our God, as our King God. So thanks, God, for this opportunity. And I ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, that you would just continue to speak into our lives, Lord, especially now as we go into a season where we remember corporately what you have sacrificed for us, Lord, that we would just... Thrive to seek your kingdom and not ours. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We, we come to church and uh, <laughs> obviously the more you grow, the more you realize what church isn't about. Obviously, like I did as a kid. And what God can do and what he wants to do. And now as we're going into Easter, I've I've uh, I've been mulling over this passage for, for a few years now. And uh, I'm really excited to see what God has been showing. I'd like to share that with you guys today. So we'll start with Matthew chapter 28, just before the Great Commission. Verse 16. So here we are, just to give you guys, before I read the scripture, I'm going to step back a little bit. The disciples, the twelve, they've been with Jesus throughout his whole three plus years or whatever, depending on on, on how you want to look at that. Um, Of ministry. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him raise people from the dead. If that isn't impressive enough, He tells people their sins can be forgiven. And this is all really shocking to these disciples because they're expecting the Messiah, the King, the person that is going to right the wrong, to bring about justice in this world to His people. How many of us like the thought of justice? How many of us get mad and upset when we see injustice? I think especially these last couple of years, many of us have found ourselves borderline diabetic anger at what's happening. I've even had to step off of Facebook a few times because I'm like, if I keep this up, I'm going to get diabetes. I'm a, I'm to a bust a vein somewhere. It's, this isn't healthy for me. We've all been there. Now imagine the disciples. They were raised under a Roman rule where these Romans are not just cruel, but they're just nasty. I mean, they're pedophiles. It's okay. It's no big deal. They do whatever they want with different people. Political figures back then, they would take other people's kids and then use them for their own pleasures. And if the kids didn't measure up, they'd just kill them or throw them off a cliff. There was some that would do this. This is the level of depravity. If you think it's bad now, it's been worse before. So we have a Jewish nation that wants justice morally, physically, and every way that you can think about it. They want justice brought. And who's going to bring that? No one but the Messiah can bring about this justice, the righteousness. To the people, here comes Jesus. Here's a Messiah. He's not just a good political ruler. This guy whips up food and snacks for everyone on a word. You know, your kids are hungry. No problem. Here we go. I'm going to feed them. You didn't have to do anything about that. You got people that are sick. Bring them over. We'll we'll fix them right now. People that are demon possessed. We'll fix them leaders that think they're in charge or they're the bosses i'll I'll set them straight i mean this is jesus these soldiers go over to arrest him they end up not arresting him they're like nobody ever talks like this guy we couldn't arrest him now this is quite a an impressive political figure that should be taking over take the oppressors out And set God's kingdom and set God's justice on this earth. And now the disciples went through this traumatic scene where Jesus let the Romans kill him. At the moment where Jesus should have probably taken over and started his now political empire, he was crucified. And then a few days later, he comes to life. He's back. He's like, you now, you don't just pick people up from the dead, but you, you, you yourself came back from the dead. You resurrected yourself. And um, so here we are. Chapter 28, verse 16. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey according to everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The part that gets me is how you can worship in doubt. Right there, 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And this this just, this got me for a long time. How do you worship in doubt? It made me start like analyzing what exactly is worship. Oftentimes we think worship is just coming over here and playing music and worshiping God and just singing some nice songs and meaning it with your heart. That ain't worship. That's a part of worship. Oftentimes we think, like if you go to Mexico or some other Latin countries where their worship consists of some kind of pilgrimage or sacrifice. You know, I've been bad, so... Now I'm going to punish myself through this or that, or I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to start behaving or I'm just going to try to stop doing the bad stuff for a while. And we think that is worship. God himself said, I don't want your sacrifice. He told this to the Jewish people, I want your obedience What is true worship? It's not just obedience. See, Christ didn't die on that cross so that we could be obedient. He died on that cross so he can fellowship with us. It's like a father that wants to hang out with his kids and have a good relationship. If you ever lost your kid for even just five, ten minutes, you start get to that freakout phase, you know, where you're just "My kingdom for a horse!" I'll, I don't care! I'll sell the house, the car. Give me my kid back. Where is he? Kind of a moment. And here we have a God that died, died Himself for us, so we can have this relationship with us. So then, how is it that these disciples they spent three years with Christ Himself? Rat his feet day and night, just listening to all his messages and asking him whatever questions they had. How is it that they worshipped and doubted? It kind of became apparent to me when I started looking at the life of that one guy that was not there. Eleven disciples were there, but one was missing. Judas. Judas Iscariot the guy who betrayed Jesus. Here we have Judas. He came from prominent family. He was educated, actually better than most of the other disciples. If there was one guy that everyone would have looked amongst the the disciples and said, that guy belongs at the feet of the Master, it was Judas. He kept the, the balance on the money and stuff. And... We look at him throughout history as a traitor, which he is, which he was. But I think oftentimes we don't really stop to analyze what was it about him that made him a traitor. I don't think he betrayed Jesus because he didn't like Jesus. I don't actually think he even meant to betray Christ himself. I feel he didn't understand who Christ was. And he tried to form Christ into the idol he was looking for. He wasn't the only one with this problem. Actually, I think the other 11 had the same issue, which is why they doubted while worshiping him. You see, here we have Judas that's looking at Christ the same way the rest of the disciples are looking at Christ as the guy that's supposed to come and bring justice. Free us from our Roman oppressors and bring true moral justice and light into this world. And Judas is looking at Jesus like, Jesus, I don't think you get who you are. You're not fitting the role of the future emperor of the world here. Let me help you. It's a dangerous place to be in when we decide we want to help God become who he's supposed to be. It's a very dangerous spot. So he goes, and we know the story. So he goes up to the to the, to the the religious leaders and he's like, hey, I'll give him to you. Um, they give him money. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll tell you where he's at and you guys can go get him. I think Judah sincerely thought that by pushing Christ to the limit, to the point where he had to confront the authorities, that he thought, you know what, Christ is... Christ is going to let them have it. They're going to get their their due justice and uh, the days of their hypocrisy have come to an end. And Christ is going to rise and become the leader and we're going to take over the world in God's name. What do you think he did when he found out he'd been wrong? And this is the part that actually scares me quite a bit. Because he hung himself. But I think oftentimes as Christians, we don't hang ourselves. We hold on to our ideals. We think, God, you don't you don't quite get it. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And instead of trying to figure out, God, wait, what is it that you're trying to do? We try to put God in our own image, in our own box, trying to make him fit a mold of what he's supposed to do, what you're supposed to stand for in my life. And many of us, and I've been guilty of this, continue on in some, in like a false sense of pride or arrogance of, like, well, God, come on, come on any minute now. And it's not what Judas did. He realized he, he just sent the man he, he loved to the grave. And even then, he was, he was sorely mistaken. He didn't stop to think, you know, this is... God's got this. I, I don't know what happened to him mentally after that. Well, we know he, he, he committed suicide. He hung himself on a tree. And now here we have the rest of the disciples thinking... I, I don't know, Like, if, if I was them, there'd be a part of me that'd be like, ah, I can see why Judas did that. He's trying to push Jesus, you know, to do what he's supposed to do. To fulfill his time. Since the time, if I was a disciple, I would have thought, since the time I met him, back when his mom was telling him, hey, it's your time now, come on. Do something. Show the people who you are. And God's just like, ah, oh, woman, just, mom, shut up. I'll turn the water into wine then. Fine, if it makes everyone happy. <laughs> if I would have been there, I would have been like, this Jesus has a, has a it's time kind of complex. Maybe he's, maybe he's Hispanic. He's always late, you know? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. <laughs> they worshiped and they doubted. How many of us can actually say we worship God, but sometimes we doubt what He's really about or what He's going to do or what He's supposed to do? Because we don't quite get it. We're stuck stepping between God's kingdom and our kingdom, and we're not even aware that we're doing this. But you know what's amazing? God's still in control. Not just that but he still trusts you because this is what Jesus does next. He knows they doubt they're worshiping him and they still doubt. And he's like, ah, man, I try to teach you as much as I could, but we're going to have to send the reinforcements. The Holy Spirit's coming. He'll he'll help (laughs) such a guy straight as you go. But it doesn't just do that. He comes to them. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of age. He trusts them with His commission. He trusts them. These people that worshipped and doubted. Some of these guys that probably within them still held that part of Judas. Where they're just like, Jesus, you're not holding it up for us, the Jewish, the Hebrew nation. You haven't shown yourself strong on our behalf, on your true identity. And I think we might do this at times with our own kingdoms. And one recently might be our very own country. What we think it should be, what we think it should stand for, what we think it should be doing, and how God should be blessing it. Without realizing God's not here to establish your kingdom. And I'm not trying to get political by stating this, I'm just trying to open our eyes to see sometimes God has something far greater and far deeper. Than our own national identity. They worshiped and they doubted, and yet God still trusted them. And yet God still trusted them. What is God trusting you with? You might not have been uh, one of the lucky or blessed 12 that was able to hang out with Jesus the whole time. I mean, God gave these guys power. They were healing people. They were casting out demons. The dead were rising to the point where a couple of them were like, hey, Jesus, those people in that other town, they didn't like the message we brought. Just tell us. We'll nuke them right now. Just bring thunder, fire will fall from heaven, consume everybody. Here's the deal that gets me. These guys were serious. They had felt the power. They had seen the power of God manifested through them. I know I'm not the only one that's wanted to nuke somebody else or at least punch him in the face. (laughs) And Jesus is just like, ah, man, we'll call you guys the sons of thunder. But no, we're not going to do that today, okay? (laughs) It's good. I'm glad. God doesn't take me as serious as I take myself, often enough. Um, And that's humbling, (laughs) which is why he gave me a wife, I think. (laughs) Oh, man, God is good. To worship and to doubt. We come here, and I know it. We come here, we worship, and yet we still doubt, and that's okay. That's okay. We don't have all the answers. And God will still work through us. And God's mysteries will still be revealed to us. Because it is a beautiful thing to walk in intimacy with God. It's a beautiful thing to get to know someone more and more and like them even more and trust them even more as time goes on. As they get to know you better and your faults. Someone especially like God. That would just continue to pour his love and his trust on us. And he's like, you know what? It's okay. Just just keep following me. Don't try to push me to where you want me to go. Follow me. Really, really different. Really different concept. I had told my wife and uh, uh, before we got married, you know, that the, the scriptures cause women to, to be submitted to your own husband's. Doesn't mean husbands have to go lording themselves over the wife and telling them what to do. And I, I saw this, it was kind of a a revelation, a humbling moment, too, when God just let me see: hey, if you if you stand behind my principles and you walk in my ways, your wife will want to submit to you naturally. It's not something you have to force or coerce, it'll just come to. And It's exactly what God does with us. He's not going around telling you, hey, you have to follow me. You have to do this. I want you to be good. Don't, you know, don't, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure what our problems is. You know, don't, don't honk at people. Don't get mad on the road. Don't be always trying to convince everybody else how their political opinion is wrong. I'm not saying don't stand up for what is right. But there comes a fine line when you just have to realize, you know what? Can't help you. Um, Some of us are educated above our level of intelligence and that's just what it is, you know? God will call us to be an example, just to be the light, to be the salt, to be there. Even if at times we don't exactly understand what God is doing and why He's letting certain things happen, we just have to trust and when you look at this historically, what happened next to the Jewish nation was actually worse. It was was the worst thing you could have hoped for if, if you would have kept thinking like Judas or like the disciples at that point. The Jewish nation just took a nosedive from there. I mean, they were it, it just went it just went further south from there. Um But us as Christians, we see what the disciples have done, and they shook the world's foundations to the core because they weren't trying to establish a legal system. They went out in God's Spirit and planted His Spirit in the hearts of men. You can't just force behavioral change on a person. It has to come from deep within from what they know is real, from what they know is true. Oftentimes, that first there has to be transformed before their actions change. And that is where God has called us to work at, at His kingdom. In His kingdom, all other kingdoms will be, will be fixed, will be revealed, will be matured, will be grown. But it is through His Spirit, through His kingdom, not ours. So I want to encourage you guys not not to continue in doubt when we have these moments of doubt, of of this double-mindedness. We're not sure if it's this or if, if we're not sure if it's that. But just be okay with worshiping God. You know what? I'll keep obeying. I'll keep doing my best to that my reputation would honor His name. People call you a Christian. Christian is actually a nickname. Uh, back back when, when, at, when the disciples, it was called The Way. Um, they had other names for it too, but it eventually became they, they became known as Christians because they followed Christ. It was a nickname given to them. Let's be worthy of that name. To be Christ-like, to be Christian. And let's worship God not just with our acts, but that the world would know that God is with us because of the way they are loved through us. There's a good litmus test. You want to you want to check your relationship with God. Test it by seeing how well you treat others, how well you get along with others. Easiest way of doing that is just seeing how you feel about others. If you constantly want to punch at least 90% of the people that you know, then hey, you got a lot more loving to learn. And God will walk you through it. He'll do it. I mean, he went for Paul and he was out killing Christians having a good old time there. He was like, hey, you know what? No, that's, that's not what you're gonna do. Now uh I'm gonna teach you some love. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you live the way you were treating others. So <laughs> bad for that guy. Um, yeah. Worship and doubting. But just don't let your doubts become your convictions or that on which you act upon. But yet, let your worship be that which conquers your doubt and grows your love. And God's going to show you exactly how to do that. I'm not saying don't pray for change. I'm not saying, you know, stop praying for, for whatever you want to call it, for people to stop wearing masks, for people to stop being afraid. or don't, I don't, I'm not saying don't stop praying for that. I'm just saying don't make that your hope. Don't make that your God. Don't make that be the, the way you think you're going to push God into action. Speed him up on his timeline. Let your worship be your love, be your conviction of following God. The world will see that. And you know what? The world doesn't know that we are Christians because of our doctrines or theologies or or our, our, our pragmatic beliefs on whatever issue or cause. The world knows that we are his by the way we love one another. By the way we love one another. Man, you want to do something hardcore? Love other people. Want to do something really hardcore? Love other Christians. <laughs> Those Christians, I'm telling you. They're the main reason I do not want to go into ministry. But hey, God has mercy on us all. And uh, what's it to you if this guy goes to the cross or if that guy, you know, dies in his bed? Just follow me. That's God's word to all of us. Just follow me. That intimacy, that walk with Him. Nobody else gives you that. Of all the miracles I've seen, and I've seen quite a few, and I've wished for many others, but the one consistent miracle is that that God will walk with you. He will talk with you. He'll have intimate moments with you where He speaks into your heart like no one else can. And it's a beautiful thing. You know that time when you do something you look over at your spouse, you don't even have to look at her and you just know, like, oh, this is going to hurt later. Those those that's a form of intimacy when you know, oh, this is oh, nah, it's not going to weigh so good or whatever. Or, or when you do something, you're like, oh, yes, I'm getting brownie points for that one. She's cooking something extra or I don't know, scratch my back till I go to sleep or something this time. Those moments of intimacy and joy and of relationship and just having a good time, they come and God, God will be there. He will speak to you, man. That's that's why I'm in ministry. God spoke to me through total strangers and just spoke things that I knew they could never understand or have known. Where I was like, okay, I know God wants this. I know God doesn't just love me. He likes me despite my issues. (laughs) Dear God, thanks for the opportunity to, to be part of your kingdom, God to follow you, Lord, to to be entrusted with your commission of going and loving others into discipleship the same way you do it to us. God, I ask that this town, this nation would know that your people are here, that they would see the love and be transformed, God that they would see your grace and be transformed, that they would hear your laws through our love, God, for one another and for them. In your precious name, I give you thanks, God.